0: The, the bit that really gets me excited about our product is that I could cut one pork belly into 10 portions, give it to 10 different chefs and have 10 different exo- uh, eating experiences because everybody's got their own flavor profile, everybody's got their own technique um, and everybody's gonna present that dish a little bit differently. This is The Crackling,
1: I'm Anthony Huckstep. Family and connection. Is at the heart of everything we do and feel as people we fight for the very best lives for our children feel unbridled love and acceptance by those close to us after years of owning his own construction company jason stevenson was spending too much time away from the family and feeling burnt out wanting a greater connection to his family and the region he lives in he invested in a pig farm and began to revolutionise pork production down under. Jason, you're in a region that's known for extraordinary seafood. What makes it so special for farming pigs?
0: Well, um, the pigs themselves uh, that we breed are are, are a Berkshire pig, so they're um, very... um very well situated to be outdoors and on the ground like they're a a breed that's that's been their mainstay so the the land over here is is well adapted to that um so i guess that breed realistically as opposed to your your conventional pig does well outside it doesn't get sunburned it's it's been doing what it's doing generationally you know we pretty much almost run our pigs as a as a we say we're true free range because they've got a lot of land and they um
1: they're almost living like a wild existence, I suppose. So, yeah, it works really good. Did you specifically uh, choose that breed of pig for the conditions that you have there in the
0: Um, Not so much because, as we'll probably discuss later on, our hand was forced a little bit and we ended up where we were location-wise once we changed from Boston Bay. But the the reason we chose the pigs that we have with the Berkshire is, is simply because of the the quality of the product and the the beliefs we have in in that product and the, the points of difference that it offers um, for animal husbandry and also for its um,
1: desirable desirability for for chefs and restaurant trade. You just briefly touched on the fact that you were in Boston Bay and that's where it all sort of started. Can you take us back to that time? Cause you weren't always a pig farmer. No, I still am.
0: Yeah. Well I'm still own a building company. I'm a carpenter by trade and um to you know, get some work-life balance, um, and realistically, side shift from the building into farming full time. We we bought a small 90-acre property above Boston Bay, so just near the Boston Bay Winery, and overlooking, obviously, where um, Andrew Pugliesi um, grows his mussels. And um, so we went for that regional branding of Boston Bay, which was synonymous for some award-winning product, rather than the Port Lincoln, which was, like you suggested earlier, too heavily invested in. In, in seafood as, as a provenance, um, so we found that the Boston Bay worked for us. So um, yeah, no, that's um, that's that's working really good for us to start there. Um, look, a friend of ours um, owns another a property at Coffin Bay, and he um, owns Berkshire pigs there, and that's sort of how we had our first exposure to the um, to the breed and the the pork and the produce itself. And look, honestly. When we went there with our kids we just had a fantastic time with the young pigs running around and we just it really you know tugged on my heartstrings i guess um that lifestyle um but ultimately it was the edibility qualities of that
1: that pork that has sort of led us down the journey you mentioned that you still have a building company and you started pig farming for a work life balance take us back to that time and and that decision that you made and why you felt the need to try and find some balance
0: well i guess you know like to be honest i mean i have pretty much ever since i left school i've, I've done my apprenticeship as a carpenter and I've, I've been in the industry and then you know the natural progression to become a builder and um move forward from that and doing some property development ourselves but like i guess it's just been all consuming um the building and you know people's expectations and um You know, it's no different to people watching um, MasterChef or um, another cooking show. Their expectations on what they expect you to deliver for them at a restaurant, it's no different in the building industry with people watching, um, you know, different shows and then having an expectation on unrealistic timeframes and money and blah, blah, blah. So, look, it's, um, yeah, we wanted to side shift uh, into the pigs because we just wanted to gain a little bit more life balance Unfortunately, <laughs> it hasn't quite worked out that way with, um, you know, we're still building um, and that's really because we've had some four years of pretty horrific droughts over here. Um, and then that has obviously led to, um, you know, some some financial losses in some capital of uh, putting in crops and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we're still building. I'm, I must admit my staff are amazing um, and the support they've given me to help us to, uh, to side shift, and then the guys that we've got working on the farms uh, are amazing. So, you know, I must admit we've had some fantastic success. But the um, acceleration of our exposure um, to restaurant trade and and the the success we have is is contributed by the people that are
1: behind me. There's no doubt about it. You mentioned that you seeked a life of pig farming to to get balance. What what makes you happy about pig farming? Look, I don't
0: know. I mean, I, I must admit that um, any new life for some reason, like if I drive past a paddock and see some young sheep running around or, you know, you see a, a calf that's been born or or something like that, that, that new beginning, I don't know, there's it something about it. I mean, at the end of the day, I I'd like eating them. <laughs> but, um, that's, uh, that's that's sort of why we're in it. But at the end of the day, that to me is just, oh, I don't know, there's just
1: something about it that... that I don't know, strikes a chord with me. You mentioned that you originally uh, started in Boston Bay, but you've moved. Tell us about the property that you're you're on now and, and the sort of life that the pigs live there.
0: Yeah, so, well, when we started at Boston Bay, obviously um, we've only got a 90-acre property there, and which is, you know, reasonable size. But when we um, started the farm, we were sort of a little bit uh, naive on the... Um, the legislation regarding um, pig keeping, which is considered intensive, any animal that is fed fifty percent or more of its diet from an external source. So our pigs obviously graze and blah blah blah, but any animal that's fed fifty percent more is considered intensive. So chickens, um, an animal feed lot, and that was basically considered a, an animal feed lot needed a development application. Unfortunately, our neighbours didn't feel that that would be best for us, uh, for them as well, and for the uh, area. So, look, it just basically got too hard and we ended up in court with the council. Um, And from that, I had to have an injunction put in to give me time to work out exactly what we were doing. And um, so moving forward, I found a property in uh, Rudow, which is just like, um, it's about an hour from where we live. Um, And um, we we visited that. I found it at three o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I was there at nine o'clock on the Tuesday, and I signed the contract on the Friday at nine o'clock, and that was twenty six hundred acres, a considerable man land, and and a lot of uh, a fair bit of money. Um, but I said to my wife, just I wasn't prepared to let go of what we'd achieved to this point, and the the dream of. Um, you know of of moving forward and side shifting and I really just believed in what we did uh, and, and I still do um, and you know it's uh, yeah it's like a, a massive leap of faith but when when we went up there I originally went up there with my workman who was going to come up there with me and um and run the show and um we had a good look around and I felt quite confident that we could make it work and I rang my wife and I said, "I'm going to buy a farm. Do you want to have a look at it before I buy it?" And she said, "You chose him." I said, "No, nah, I'm going to um, buy this farm." So she came up the next day and she felt the same. That it had sort of been it had been on the market for three years actually. Um, wow! And it had been sitting there. And I, look, I mean, I don't know divine intervention. You can call it what you want, but um, it just it was absolutely ideal for what we wanted, and,
1: and it's um, been an absolute blessing. You mentioned that the pigs love being outside and um, they don't get sunburnt. And you, you mentioned sort of that true free range. Give us a sense of how you've revolutionized pork production um, in that sort of natural bush grazing system that you have.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I mean, a lot of people say that, you know, we're quite innovative and, you know, on the cutting edge. And I say, actually, I think we're almost going back the other way. Like, um, when you, when you look at infrastructure costs of shed production, um, you know, all the stuff that goes into that, the economics behind the business, like the, the fencing system that we have it is quite efficient. It's quite cheap. You can do a lot in a short amount of time. Um, the, the pigs themselves, you know, like I said, being black, um, they, they don't get burnt. So everything sort of just moulds together to work in a system that seems to really just uh, mesh. But like I say, it is so... Far from cutting edge, it's almost, um, you know, at certain times when we want to round pigs up and we're after a specific size, we can't always get what we want because we have to convince them that they have to go into the corral where we can draft them off. But <laughs> so it comes with its own challenges. But I think the lifestyle of the pigs get to live and the the ethics behind the business really um, stand up on, on our focus, I suppose
1: what give us a give us a sense of what happens on the farm well, how much space do the pigs have to move around in and and um and ha- what and what do they eat
0: yeah. Okay. Well, there is actually a video that um the guys can obviously log on and have a look on. If you just Google Boston based Mulgrids on YouTube, our video will come up. And when they really say a, a you know picture speaks a thousand words, this shows really how we farm. But if people do watch that and then they sort of listen to my explanation, that they'll get a bit of a a bit deeper insight into the way we farm. But our, our pigs live in very large communal groups. So you've got probably anywhere from forty. To uh, forty-five sows living with three or four boars in like a in large family groups um, in in paddocks, and um, so those pigs basically live like that full time. Um, there's no hard shelters. There is shelters for the pigs, but they're all obviously three-sided so that they can come and go as they please. No concrete. Um, so those pigs basically live in large communal groups, um, and majority of those paddocks are very um, heavily timbered so there's um, a lot of scrub in them so what basically happens is those pigs just live their life they um, mate up obviously and when it's time to have a baby if they so choose the the mums will go into one of the shelters with hay in it to create you know a nest and then basically they'll have their um, have their babies in there but nine times out of ten they'll go further away from the community um, under a tree pull up some bits and pieces, maybe take some hay or some, you know, different weeds from around the place and, and make a nest and then just have their babies out in the open or under a tree. Um, so that real natural sort of thing. And then what they'll generally do is within four to five days of doing that, they'll stay there with the with the babies, um, come down to feed, but generally the babies will stay where they are, and then they'll come back and join the general community when they're sort of at an age that they're, um, you know, ready to thrive. So it's a it's a very unique system in that respect. So when it's obviously, um, you know, we've got the conditional seasons right, we, we broadcast seed through those areas and then Obviously, you're getting natural grasses come up, and then they'll get some barley shoots. But we we basically feed the pigs every day on on barley that we grow on the farm, um, and then um, we therefore then yeah supplement their grazing. But I must admit, um, after four years of drought, it's um, by no means as uh, as as picturesque as
1: it has been. But um, that's uh, that's the realities of of farming. What sort of impact did that drought have? On, on you and the, and the pigs over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, realistically, um, we've obviously grown enough food. I mean, we crop two thousand acres of our own land, so we've got you know headers, tractors, spray rigs, you know, all the bits and pieces to put in and harvest and, and maintain our crop. Um, we can then harvest that product and then store it and then on feeds. So, but I mean, the return on the investment to put that crop in has um, you know led to probably. I don't know, around a $70,000 loss just on that part of the business model a year for the last four years. So it's, it's been, um, you know, it, oh, look, after last year, I must admit it was, I, I was getting towards, um, you know, December and I, I was really losing hope, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, with with COVID and then having the seasonal conditions change like they have been it's been bloody tough, but um, you know, I guess uh, as a, Aussie Butler, you, you keep moving forward, but um, it, you know it, the, we haven't been able to realise the profitability that that is there. And and um, I must admit, though, that means that that the business has still been quite viable. So that when we actually do get the conditions that work, we'll we'll definitely reap the benefit of that. Um, but it really hasn't impacted the pigs too much. The the I have spoken to a lot of people that farm like we do, and they've noticed a, a considerable. Um, lessening of of their progeny from their animals and i I do believe that you know like a kangaroo will uh, an abort a fetus or you know eject a joey if the key conditions seasons aren't correct and i think that the pigs you know through some sense of their own know there's not as much grazing available as even though they get ample supplement feed but that the numbers just haven't been there this last few years and a lot of people are saying the same thing so you know we we're dealing with environmental factors that um the big boys in the in the sheds are, are probably not. Um, but, you know, it, it's definitely been tough, that's for sure.
1: Take us through the life cycle of a pig on the farm from when they're born to sort of when they're ready for market. Can you give us a sense of what time that is and and um, what sort of weight they go to market? Yeah, well, we've, we've got a, a very mixed farming model.
0: Um, and obviously, um, I'm sure we'll discuss further on, you know, Boston-based small goods, I've got an Italian background and um, I must admit, I assumed we'd sell a lot more small goods than we do, but the, the fresh pork has definitely been our, our mainstay. Um, but that is starting to swing a little bit now. But um, So that being said, the pigs go off at a variety of ages. So we do suckling pigs anywhere from um, up around that sort of 12 kilo mark for, um, you know, restaurants in Adelaide, Press Food and Wine, and then we send some stuff up to Darwin to Wharf One. And um, so, you know, those pigs are probably looking at, you know, a true milk fed product and with a bit of grazing involved, but those pigs are probably only gonna be sort of, you know, eight, nine weeks old. Um, We have done some stuff to McGill Estate where those pigs were, you know, I reckon they were only three kilo, um, you know, like a big rabbit, really. Um, and, um, you know, they were really literally just pure milk fed straight off of mum, no more than probably three weeks old. Um, and then the model changes depending on what restaurants are chasing. Um, so our pigs would realistically be looking at uh, at least 30% longer to get to market size than your conventional pig, considering the amount of area they have, what they actually um the conversion rates, but also what they—the amount of energy they expend running around because they've got the room—and so um, our, our pigs take a lot longer to get to market. So something that I generally like to harvest around the the seventy kilo dress weight would be pushing about nine to ten months old, whereas your conventional stuff would only be about four to five. Um, so a massive difference in the um, you know the the inputs, I guess you'd say, um, and therefore. You know, we've had to change the model where we actually, you know, the life cycle of the pig is obviously born on the farm, grown on the farm, harvested at different times. But then because we basically own our own butcher shop, we, we break up those pigs and then direct market them, direct to restaurant trade. Um, we also then bone meat to send to specialists in the trade to then further produce our products such as the suppressor, cacciatoris, prosciuttos our beer sticks pepperonis that sort of stuff so you know when a lot of guys that sell pigs for a living farmers and that's the easiest money you could make is honestly growing them and sending them off we've created another whole job for ourselves with the um vertical integration i suppose but that's really where our passions are is is servicing people who appreciate our product for what it is but also um you know the ability for us to cook and and move that forward and promote it that way. So, you know, we could never have a pig on our farm that's too big. We harvested some uh, choppers last week. So females that were at the end of their um, productive cycle. Um, you know, we did 10 pigs last week with an average of 159 kilo carcass weight skin off. So, you know, you're looking at something that was running around in a paddock sort of in excess of, Oh shit! You know, have to be two hundred and sixty to three hundred kilos. So, um, and the meat you can harvest off those animals, and what you can do with them, um, you know, really, uh, it, it is unlimited. And and I think that's where we've been able to capture a marketplace where we can diversify our risk. And that risk, by that risk, I mean. Like, um, you know, if a company goes broke and that we're seeing that happen, obviously, you know, you can lose a whole arm of your business straight away if you're too heavily invested in into one particular um, producer. So what we do is we've got up to five producers that all we cherry-picked from them, what we felt was their best product with our product, married together. So we've got five different contractors working fee-for-service that create a different range of products for us. And if we lost one of those we could replace it quite easily um it would take time but it's not going to devastate our business like it has in the past when we've we lost a producer who was producing pretty much all of our small goods so that
1: arm of our business was lost overnight you mentioned your italian background and love of small goods tell us a bit about that small goods side of things and the butcher and and some of the things you make and and what it takes to make great small goods
0: yeah look i'll tell you what um You know, the old school breeds of pigs are getting less and less. The availability of that product is less and less and appreciation of it. I mean, I must admit, with our pork, it's really an education process um, to your general public. Like, don't get me wrong, um, your discerning chef or foodie is going to know a Berkshire pig when you tell them um, about it. But, you know, I could show a piece of pork to a a chef or restaurateur um small goods maker and they go wow jason look at your pork it's got heaps of fat on it and it's creamy and you know it's just oh amazing i just can't wait to work with that and you know that's what sells our product and then you show that to you to mum and dad down the road and they go oh geez your pork's fatty and it's just a different appreciation of what it is but it's it, it's an education process and i say to the people look you know it's got a low milk temperature it's the wagyu you know you can't overcook our pork it just doesn't dry out um so it's it's just changing the the perception of uh, things and i think you know there's an absolute um it's an absolute marketplace for everything that is produced in australia and i i know, mean, i'm not going to bang on about why we shouldn't be importing because we don't need to be everything's here but there's a commodity product and that's servicing a lot of the market but i do believe and i don't knock our competitors because there is a marketplace but i do believe the flavor has been bred out a lot of product that is being commercialized to meet the demands of the consumer and we are the complete opposite so we're looking for more fat which is flavor and the, the ability to keep it moist you know we don't you know, moisture infusion obviously is a tool that's used to uh, enable um, uh, a, a more meaty product with less intermuscular fat to remain moist. But obviously that's we're doing that naturally. So it is it is different. But so back to the small goods. Yeah, we've um, we've been able to work with quite a few different producers in Adelaide and and the talent that is here. I mean, it's it's all old school. Um, and and getting those guys up to speed with uh, legislation and um, requirements, batch testing and all that sort of stuff has been challenging. But, um, you know, some of the stuff, I'll tell you what, some of the stuff that comes out of people's garages in Adelaide, you you just about fall over how good it is. But obviously for commercial sides of things, we're definitely, um, everything's above board with batch numbers and um, HACCP and all that sort of stuff. So we're up on that, but we've got a great bunch of guys doing different product ranges for us. So, we, we do a um, obviously um, an all female uh, set of small goods, and then we've got a blended product as well. So, but obviously, all the single muscle stuff is is female. So, prosciutto's, lonzas, Capicolo, um that sort of range of products. Pusciatella is traditionally all from a female. Um, it's got a better fat cover, it's a sweeter uh, flavor, um, nuttier meat, and um, yeah, we do that. So then we've got some salamis and emulsified um, products that um, have got a blend of male and, and female in them because there is a bit of a stigma about using male product. But as as a farm farmer, you know, you, you're basically producing 50% males and females. So you have to be able to use them through the business model. So, um, yeah, the product range varies. And, and I guess having our own butcher shop too, we don't order in a piece of meat as a butcher that's going to have to be um, not manipulated, but but reworked to send back out to a restaurant and, and have, because we bought that meat, we have to send it back out. If we get something from our pigs and it's not quite up to spec, or we can then dice that out and put it down for our trims to make salamis. We can, if we're not happy with a product, we won't send it out. We're the last line of defense to protect our brand and, um, ensure our customer is, really gets what they're after.
1: You mentioned your love of small goods, but the um, popularity amongst chef, the chefing fraternity of the, of the fresh pork. Um, h- how hard was it to get traction with restaurants when you were starting out?
0: Look, I, I must admit, um, my uh, good friend Andrew Davies, um, absolute legend that he is. So um, head chef of, uh, what was ex chef of, Press Food and Wine and Odgy in Adelaide, but um, my friend actually, my cousin, built his uh, restaurants for him in Adelaide, fitted them out and happened to mention that I was getting into pig farming and we should meet. And I had a meet with Andy in Adelaide and met Belle, his beautiful wife, and um, Andy is sold by the story. And I said, look, mate, I just... He goes, I'll buy everything you can produce. I said, look, for the next six months, we're not going to actually be able to sell you anything because the availability of product just wasn't there we actually had to buy in as many breeders as we could and then breed from them to get numbers to actually make the model viable um and i must admit too my son uh we started five years ago so he would only be nine and i'd be trolling the internet and uh see a couple of berkshire sales for sale at um you know murray bridge and i'd say pack your bag mate we're going for a drive and he goes where we going dad i said well (laughs) We just put the trailer on, mate. Dad's gonna. We're gonna go and get some Berkshires, and the amount of kilometres we did throughout South Australia and into Victoria to buy pigs to enable us to get a, a, an, a like a, an economy of scale to actually set the farm up is is, uh, is gobsmacking. Um, and you know, it's um, yeah. That's. I mean, that's been part of our success, I suppose. The 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 um the desire and the the you know, hard graft enough to just go and do what it took to, to get to where we are. But getting back to Andy and the restaurant trade, we finally were able to supply Andy with some product and he was running that through Press Food and Wine and Osteria Oggi in Adelaide. And we were doing full leg hamons and prosciutto. And um, before we were doing massive amounts of product, Andy invited me to go along to um, one of the uh, single site dinners through Tasting Australia at plant four in Bowdoin. And, um, we had a bit to do there with Simon Bryant, and um, we hand carved um, some full leg prosciutto, and we did some of our product. And you know, there were some inf- lot of influential people there. Um, so you know, Lachlan from Hentley Farm, and um, the guys from Finos, and I think that those sorts of things gave us um, a little bit more instant credibility. That we've we've now earned that credibility, but it definitely accelerated our exposure to the marketplace. That has a um, desire for what we can offer them.
1: What surprised you uh, about pig farming? You've been in the game for a little while now. Is, it, and, um, is there anything that has um, surprised you or um, made you happy during this process?
0: Oh, look, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm a, well, as we've discussed, I mean, we're doing this on the computer because I've had to turn my phone off because it, it just rings flat out but and that's to do with the building company as well don't get me wrong but there's you know pig farming in general it don't want say the lifestyle of that it's working the land working the pigs it's it's something that can be done um, at your own pace to a certain extent that if you don't get it finished today you can you can do it tomorrow and you, and you can move along and you can actually enjoy it whereas with my building company you know, you got three or four blokes standing on site if uh, someone else hasn't done their job or if a delivery doesn't come and you know, the stress that's incurred with that, you know, you're going backwards 200 bucks an hour whilst guys are standing around. Um, So I guess the freedom that that business model has given me as much as I'm not there full time, it, the glimmers of hope that moving forward that I can, you know, work with these guys at their pace. And I tell you what, you know, they say things are pig headed far out, man. Like, we've got to work with them. You can't tell them what they want to do. And it's just, um, and, and that's helped me to, to step back a little bit in my um, sense of urgency and really evaluate how to move forward um, at a better pace so that life is more enjoyable.
1: A little earlier, you mentioned the joy that it gives you when you see new life a new sheep or a new pig um, being born. And um, but you also mentioned that you also do love eating them. Um, well, let's talk about cooking. Are you the cook in the house? What's, what's the best cuts and ways to cook your pork? Yeah. Well, look, I only cook when I'm happy, so it's not
0: all the time. Um, <laughs> I must admit, my wife um, will admit I can cook better than her, but she's, more, uh, she's a lot more stable than I am, um, I must admit. But, look, we do a lot of events, Um a friend of mine, Mark Barron, he owns the Coffee Baron in Adelaide and he, he's a coffee roaster. Um, and we, we teamed up with him. So he's uh, basically the smoking gorillas and he's got a large offset smoker. So we do a lot of event based stuff beer and barbecue, Tasting Australia, you know, Tunerama, that sort of stuff where you can be pushing out, you know, 1500 meals in a session, um, large volume. And we've, we've got that down pat now and really enjoy it. But I must admit, I, I just. Um, I enjoy cooking our pork. I love pork scotch, the neck. I think it's probably the most premium cut. The, you know, the the intermuscular fat that runs through that is um, is just phenomenal. And I've really got a – my wife was a little bit disappointed marrying an Italian. She thought she was going to get pasta. And I just love Asian flavours and coriander and lemongrass. And so I do a lot with that sort of stuff, marinated pork um, over charcoal. And that's – I mean, I'm a real um, – like if I'm if I'm not barbecuing or cooking over charcoal or wood, I'm not really interested in cooking. To be honest, I must admit it's more, it's refined caveman. It's not, um, you know, it's not full caveman, but it's um, yeah, and 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 I do enjoy cooking that. And and it's funny, you know, you go to events and we get knocked a little bit by people, especially we can be a little bit confronting when we've got whole animals spinning over charcoal and. You know, I guess, once again, it's still an education process. And we have some people say, you know, that that's horrible. You know, that animal doesn't deserve to be there and blah, blah, blah. And I say to people, if this animal didn't wasn't destined to be where it is right now, cooking, it wouldn't have been born. And I think, once again, with an education process for what we do, you know, we try to maintain that the lifestyle of the animals and the life they get to lead before they end up where they're ending up is the best it can be but the, the bottom line is if if these pigs weren't being pushed forward and these rare breeds weren't being marketed with points of difference that these things would just die a natural death of um of extinction so um but once again i would say you know once you go black you never go back like our, our pork is um yeah
1: she's she's totally different that's for sure uh, you're renowned for some amazing small goods and there's uh Incredible chefs in Australia using your product. What's what's the best dish that you've seen using your product?
0: You know, um, I'm I'm definitely going to I'm not going to dodge the question. All, all I can say, <laughs> all I can say is that the ability, and I, and I think that's the 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 bit that really gets me excited about our product is that I could cut one pork belly into 10 portions, give it to 10 different chefs and have 10 different uh, eating experiences because Mm. everybody's got their own flavour profile, everybody's got their own technique um, and everybody's going to present that dish a little bit differently. So I must admit, the thing that gets me excited or my best dish is, is something new and something exciting because like I say, you know, some people are just going to roast it and put it straight out like that with, with you know, salt and a bit of crackling on top. And then someone else is going to, um, you know, braise it and, and serve it with, you know, rice and, and lemongrass. So it's like it's just completely, um, yeah, it's completely up to the individual, I suppose. But I must admit, I just, the dining experience of trying different things is, is what makes me a happy man,
1: I suppose. You've got a, an amazing uh, premium product and it's been a tough couple of years, but what, what's the next couple of years looking like for Boston based small goods and and what's next for you?
0: Well, I guess COVID has, has taught us a lot of lessons that uh, diversification is a fantastic business model. And, um, you know, like I say, we, we went from heroes to zeros overnight when the restaurant trade closed. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I sympathize with everybody that was involved with that. And, um, you know we we still had to feed our pigs and we still had to um, maintain them and we still had all the everyday bills we never had the income but you know thank you for the job support I'll put my hand up for that one but um job keeper that that being said it um as we discussed earlier our model was so diverse that we're probably coming out of um covid with maybe i don't know five or six more ton of product than we would have if we continue to sell. So, you know, granted, we didn't have the income straight away, but we may reap the benefit of that over the next 12 months, simply because we've got more product. Um, so, yeah, it's been tough, but it has made us diversify. We, we went into a model where we were actually harvesting slightly smaller animals around the 50 kilo mark and cutting them and portioning them down into a 10 kilo family box. Um, we would then, you know, obviously that had some, uh, a roast in it. It would have, some loin chops, a piece of pork belly, some shoulder chops, some of our sausage range. We would pack that down into sort of, you know, packs of four chops or whatever it might be, and then freezing those. And we were doing a 10-kilo box to families for $140 um so that was our product basically portion packed frozen ready for mum and dad to pick up for $14 a kilo um now the uptake on that was was pretty sensational um locally um we sent a bit to Adelaide but you know within our community the the people really got behind us and they knew we were we were doing it tough and um you know the support for that was interesting so that's something we have continued to do because you know our product is still desirable for mums and dads that people that um, like our product locally. But, yeah, we've um, we've then gone into some shelf-stable product. So we're actually doing some single-serve beer sticks and pepperonis now that are, are six months unrefrigerated. So um, they're in a 50-gram serve, and we can basically post them anywhere in the country. So, you know, service stations, tackle shops, cafes, um, liquor shops. It's, it's just an endless... Um, opportunity for us to market that product to people. Um, so that's that's come out of COVID. Um, you know, we maintain that that product is a zero lips and assholes policy. So we're using bone shoulders and bone legs. And, and the product that we're actually pushing out from that is, is amazing. And it eats really well. And surprisingly, the Berkshire, you know, it just, yeah, it's, it's all there. So um, that's also led us to do a, a label that's called the Collaboration. So what we can actually do is take two bottles of wine from any winery around the country or around the world, theoretically, put it with 50 kilos of our meat and do a small batch run under the Boston-based small Goods collaboration label, which is a red wine, cracked pepper and garlic. Now we can then send that back to that individual winery who can then retail that back to their customer base through their cellar door or you know, form in the gift baskets. So right now, the mainstay of the product that we sell to supermarket trades is actually got the Boston Bay Shiraz in it because obviously it just makes sense to team up with um, some regional branding. So that product is gaining some real good traction, but it just gives us an opportunity to partner with anybody that wants to do a collaboration with us to enable that product to then go back into their cellar door or, or you know, we can do an event with a, with a massive pub or or any winery that wants to then have a uh, product made, then we can team up with them and and do that. So, you know, it's really made us put our thinking cap on um, and work out how to move forward, diversify the model and then,
1: you know, COVID proof the business moving forward. Your goal to be a pig farmer exclusively, how far off is that, do you think? Is there a time that you see in the future where you can let go of construction and, and just work the land?
0: Absolutely. I mean, it would be this afternoon if the planets aligned properly, I can tell you. Um, I would literally walk out the door and not look back. But unfortunately, you know, yeah, it's the finances and stuff. Look, I mean, if we get a couple of – if we get a decent rain this year, and I'm talking average, I'm not talking over the top at the right time, like, you know, it could be as soon as as next year or or the following year. Um, So it is – it is part of that. I guess the other side of that too is we've also found ourselves with the event-based stuff and, you know, and the what we've been able to achieve with cooking our product that I'm actually probably cooking in excess of 30 days a year now. Um, so having some fantastic staff to back us up on the farm or, you know, I must admit I actually back them up. I'm not going to go up there and, and, walk onto my farm where someone's been running it full time and tell them what they should be doing. I go up there and I end up working for them. Um, (laughs) they've got the more intimate knowledge of the day-to-day running of the business. And I've, I've got the, um, you know, the umbrella over how to, how to finance it, market it. Um, you know, the ultimate goals, but the day-to-day stuff, those, the boys are doing that and they're doing a fantastic job of it. So it's a, it's a, it's like I say, it's a team effort. Um, but that being said too, you know, there is some point in time where the event-based stuff can be done purely from a business perspective and an enjoyment perspective rather than chasing your tail and driving all over the country to promote the product once you've reached a point where you are, um, you know, where you need to be financially and what you're producing and what you're selling is is the same amount. So I'm, I'm looking to the point, one day where I will literally have one job instead of building, you know, also being the promoter and the and the cook, definitely not a chef, but a cook. Um, and then having the facility to work on the farm um, in all aspects, as well as seeding and harvest and spraying and, and the animal husbandry. But I guess that being said too, my my kids, um, uh, my lad's nearly 14. And um, well, he's 14 now, he's nearly 15. My daughter's nearly 11 and they, um, they've got some wonderful attributes that are, you know, um, pushing me forward to say, well, you know, I can see my daughter more in customer service and promotion of the business and then my son more working on the farm and and helping to um, move that forward. So with the amount of land we've got um, and the facilities to continue to move forward, like the opportunities for our kids, once they've gone out and got a bit more life experience, they're not just going to go and work for mummy and daddy, um, I think for them to be able to come back and um, and push that forward, it's 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 a huge opportunity. So, but you know that being said, I guess um, you know it's, it's it's probably not overly common knowledge yet. But um, at some point this year or early next year, we're actually building a restaurant in Adelaide, um, in Uradler. Um So Andrew Davies will be be heading that one up, um, and um, I think then we're going to get the true paddock to plate experience from boston bay um where our pork will be pushing through a restaurant that we we own a percentage in and um will be a real i mean that's going to be a real representation of the air peninsula it's not all about pork and i guess the thing is with me with the peninsula anytime there's a an event here, we always get invited because we don't have any competition in that respect because we're pretty much the only pig farmer doing stuff commercially. But, you know, there's a lot of different oyster producers. There's a lot of different tuna guys. You know, there's only one of the kingfish, but the, all those different bits and pieces, they seem to compete. But whereas we get invited to everything, but the restaurant that we intend to build in Adelaide is really going to be a, um, a branch for um, niche, small producers to get some quality airtime Um for their produce into Adelaide. So, yeah, I mean, that's another exciting stage of the business that is really going to, you know, you hear a lot about provenance and paddock to play. And, you know, like I said, I don't knock my competitors because everybody does it slightly different. But for me, the authenticity of our business and the true provenance of product is what will definitely um, give our customer base the discerning option of, of
1: what is, you know, really happening. That sounds extraordinary and very much looking forward to seeing that come to fruition. Jason, as always, it's amazing to talk to you and to catch up. Uh, we've loved having you on The Crackling. Um, keep in touch and yeah, very much looking forward to see what happens with this restaurant and Boston-based more goods moving forward. Thank you so much, mate, anytime. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Pork Star. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.